When you think about God, what do you think? Have you ever thought about what you think about when you think about God? When we think about God, sometimes, and I know in church, you're thinking right now, okay, is this a trick question? I think the right answer is God is love. God is love. That's a good answer. And that would be true. God is forgiving. He is. That, that would be true. God is patient. I'm so grateful for that one. That would be true. God is. We, we, we have these, these ideas we have about God. Who is God? When you think about God, what do you think? But what do you do when you think, I, I know I'm supposed to say God is love, but I don't think he's being very loving right now. I know I'm probably supposed to say God is forgiving, but I prayed about this and I just, I don't feel forgiven. And there's a guilt and a shame I'm kind of living in. We have all of the church answers, and I would even say all of the Bible answers for what what God is. But then sometimes, does it ever feel like for you, life kind of collides with your idea of God and and what he is, and you walk through something that, that you think, man, if, if I were God, I would never let this happen. Or if I were God, I, I would do something about this. Have you ever thought that? And does your, does your definition of God change depending on your season of life? It's not difficult to say that God is loving and God is good when life is good. But what about when you and I are walking through incredibly dark seasons in life? Some of you came into this room this morning, and there's so much pain, you almost feel numb, and you're weary, and you're trying to hold on to some kind of hope, but it's fading. So if you were to finish the statement, God is, it it, it might not look anything like what someone else says about God. So this morning we're beginning this series, and as we do, if you've ever been in pain, I want to talk to you. If you've ever felt hopeless, I want to talk to you. If you've ever struggled with life or where you are in life, I want to talk to you. In fact, I would, I would encourage everybody to turn, if you have your Bible, turn to the back of your Bible and write down this statement. If you don't have a Bible, just make a note in your phone. I, I want you to write down the statement because you will need this, if not today, in the future. Write down the statement, for the worst day of my life. For the worst day of my life. And then underneath it put Psalm 46. Because it's been said, you've heard it said, you're either walking through a storm, you've just come out of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. But, but what do you do when it's so intense, when it's so difficult, when the pain is so much, when you feel like, I just can't take it anymore? And you've prayed. And you've talked to friends for encouragement. And maybe you've opened your Bible. And it seems like 
while you're pouring your heart out to God, it can feel like he's pouring nothing out. So the tendency is to pray less often. The tendency is to get upset with God or even, have you, have you ever been angry with God? Psalm 46. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And you might be tempted to think, and I might be tempted to think, well, that, that's cool for somebody. I'm glad somebody feels like that. Now, I think it's important to understand a little bit of the backstory. These aren't just words on a page in something we call the Bible that, that have no traction and no meaning in history. There was a historical event that took place. Hezekiah was the king of Israel, and He was in the city of Jerusalem, and they were surrounded by the Assyrian army. The Assyrians were the most powerful people on earth at that time. They had surrounded Jerusalem. They had marched south all the way to Jerusalem. They had gone through the northern kingdom. They're at the southern kingdom. They're at Jerusalem. And everything in their path was decimated. It was nothing but destruction. Nothing was left. Every single town, city, area they came to, they absolutely destroyed took the people as slaves, the ones that lived, and sent them home. And now they've surrounded Jerusalem. And Hezekiah is king. Now, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. Being the leader of a nation or a group of people is difficult at any age. 45, 65, 75, but certainly 25 years old. And I wonder if it was in the back of his mind as they look over the walls of Jerusalem and they see that they're surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people, the Assyrian army. I wonder if his age began to cause him to doubt a little bit inside. I wonder if he thought, I'm only 25. How will these people follow me? How will I lead them? What do I do? I want to honor God, but this looks impossible. And maybe, maybe one of the reasons that God in his infinite wisdom and his divine mercy inspired the Holy Spirit To use most biblical scholars believe Hezekiah wrote this psalm, the 46th psalm. So that today when you sit in this room as you're walking through what you're walking through. It would simply be a whisper from God to you right now in your circumstances saying to you, I know. I'm aware. I love you. And I'm with you. The Assyrian army was actually tired of killing people. So they sent a messenger to the wall at the gates of Jerusalem to shout over to the people. And the messenger basically said, look, if you will just surrender, we won't kill you. If you'll surrender everywhere else we've been, you've seen what's happened. You've heard about what's happened, but we won't take you out. If you'll surrender, yeah, we're, we're going to ship you off. You're going to be captives, but, but you'll have a pretty good life. You'll have most of the things that you had here we just need you to open the gates and surrender. We, we don't want to have to destroy you. And by the way, by the way, we know that Hezekiah ha- has this kind of faith in who he calls God. Understand if Hezekiah tells you, I mean, he's young, he's a young king, what does he know? If he tells you that God is going to rescue you, if he tells you that God is going to come through and it's going to be okay, don't believe him. Because the God of this city and the God of this city and the God of this city and the God of that city and the God of these people, none of their gods helped them out. We killed them all. We will do the same to you. 
Hezekiah, we find it in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19 is the, the full story. He puts on sackcloth and he sends for the prophet Isaiah. It's interesting, when Hezekiah is not only attacked by what could happen, but is attacked in his mind by what's being said, Hezekiah decides he's going to put on sackcloth And he's going to go to the temple and he's calling for the prophet. In this moment of great challenge, Hezekiah goes to the house of God and he calls for the word of God. And when it's all over, and we'll talk about what happens, but when it's all over, the Spirit of God inspires Hezekiah to write this psalm, which is a song, to celebrate and commemorate what God did and how God rescued, but also as a reminder of what God did. Because I see sometimes, sometimes I think when we walk through pain and we walk through struggle, it is so easy to get amnesia about how God came through before. It's so easy to forget the things that God has done in the past. If you're in this room this morning and you are breathing oxygen, then there is a God that is big enough to handle whatever you're walking through. But, but we tend to forget what's happened in the past. So, so he wrote this down so they would always remember in this song, let's celebrate, let's commemorate, but let it be something that's not just a historical marker. Let it be something that serves as a reminder of the power of God and what he can do in our lives. Because the Assyrian army has surrounded the city. They've waited for a period of time. It's getting closer to when they're finally going to get tired of waiting. They can't understand how the people inside the walls of Jerusalem are surviving, how they're still there, how they haven't already opened the gates. They've cut off supply of everything. And then in one night, God sends one angel, and he kills 185,000 people in the Assyrian army in one night. Now, you might think 185,000, that's a lot. No, you know what I think when I hear that? What I think when I read that is, wow, God must have picked like his smallest angel. It's only 185,000. Like that's no big deal to God, really. Think about it. He sends one angel, wipes out the bulk of the Assyrian army, and King Sennacherib, the guy over the Assyrian army, wakes up the next morning. He's like, oh my goodness, one angel did this. They probably have more angels. We're gone. And God rescued and saved the city and his people. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. But those can, be, those can be just words on a page if you don't feel like he's that for you. And I have not convinced you. And in your mind, maybe somebody believes that, but you're not sure that you do because, because you've prayed. And it didn't get better, it got worse. Have you ever prayed for something and it didn't get better, it got worse? Aren't there moments that you think, man, God, this is not how I would do it at all. Florida State would have won finally. If you want to win, you just need a UCF schedule. That's all you got to do. But I'm kidding. I like UCF. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Love me in Jesus' name. I just had to say it. Y'all all upset about the schedule. God, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. 
when we're walking in trouble, sometimes it feels like, God, I know you can do this. If you're a loving God, if I were you, I would do this. God, th- this is something you should do. What I need you to do is not even selfish. It's, it's for somebody I care about. God, how come you haven't come through for me? Sometimes when you're in deep pain and you're walking through a dark valley, it can almost feel like God is actually fighting you. God's not fighting us. He's fighting for us. You, you just haven't gotten to the moment yet where the angel comes. You're in that, that waiting period. What happens in a waiting period? You, you think God is absent. You think nothing has happened. You're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Hey, waiting is when God is preparing you and God is preparing me for what he has for us. Waiting, the baby is born in a moment, but there's nine months of waiting. Beautiful things are created in the waiting. Now, he says in this verse, He's our refuge. Refuge literally means shelter from danger, a safe place to hide. Where do you go when life's in trouble? Where do you turn? Or what do you turn to when you feel hopeless? How how do you find the encouragement just to breathe? And get to the next day. God says right here that he is, wants to be, and is available as our shelter from danger, a safe place to hide. Maybe it's not that God lied. Maybe it's not that God's not that. Maybe it's that I've stopped turning to him. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And those two words, ever-present, are very unique. They literally mean always available, immediate, soon found, and tested. God is the kind of help when we're in trouble that that is always available, instantaneous, it's it's immediate, soon found, it's it's not hide-and-seek. Do do you ever almost sometimes feel like God's playing hide-and-seek with you? Like, God, I'm praying, I'm trying to find this. God, come on, come on, come on. Our our God is not a hide-and-seek God. He lays out very, very clearly exactly the path we take. He, He lays out the path, but he does not give all the answers. Because we have to exercise faith. It's always available, soon found. Tested. Did you know that in all of history, God's never been wrong? Nobody's ever proved God wrong. He is an ever present help. If you're here this morning, And you're in deep pain. You're walking through a struggle. You're feeling hopeless. Hey, please hear me for a moment. I am in no way trying to minimize what you're walking through. If you could walk on this platform and share with us your story, we would all agree. I I am in no way trying to diminish the pain of what you're walking through. I'm just trying to help you understand that there is a God who wants to maximize his presence in your life. Well, I, I, I don't know, man. I just, I, I, I try to believe in God. I, I believe in God. I, I mean, have you ever noticed how even those of us that are Christ followers, we, we say we believe in God, but sometimes we don't act like it. When we say, when we, say we believe in God, why do we sometimes act like he's dead? Oh, I believe in God, but what I'm walking through right now, I just, I just, 
Yeah, 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 I believe in God. I believe in God is a phrase that can mean absolutely nothing from the mouth that it comes from. It, it can be absolutely meaningless. When my mouth acknowledges to maybe a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, I believe in God. But my life is living, if there is a God, he must be dead because he's not coming through for me. We, we live in a place of conflict. Now, it's interesting. God is our refuge and shelter and ever-present help in trouble. That word trouble literally means a distressed or tight place. Have you ever been in a tight place? Years and years, many years ago, when the kids were little, we lived in North Carolina. And I, while I was in school, I, I was working as an electrician's helper. And we did mainly new construction, so we would go into these brand new homes and we would wire them, uh, put all the electrical stuff in. And in this area of North Carolina, there weren't basements because the ground wasn't steep enough. There were crawl spaces, however. And some of those crawl spaces, you would go in and you could walk in, and then as you went further, you'd begin to crawl, and you know, it, it wasn't too bad. But there were other homes that the crawl space, you're crawling on your back and the floor is right here in front of you, and you're just trying to scoot to take the wire so that you can wire the house. I'll never forget one day we were at a home that had a very shallow crawl space and Ricky had gone under it and he was on his back going all the way to the corner and all of a sudden we heard this blood-curdling scream. Now what was unique about this scream, I knew it was Ricky, it was coming from under the floor in the corner, it took forever for him, he, he kept screaming, as soon as he ran out of breath he'd scream again and we hear the scream moving across the floor all the way across the house until he comes out the little door for the crawl space. We found out that in the corner, as Ricky finally made it there, scooting inch by inch on his back with the floor right in his face, as he's getting there, he gets to the corner, is unable to see out of the corner of his eye a nest of snakes. <laughs> I never went under a house after that day. I don't know if you've ever been in a tight place, a place where you are terrified, a place in life where you're distressed. You begin to panic. Your days are consumed with worry. Your nights know no sleep. You're in a tight place. Hezekiah, having just lived through the deliverance of God in a hopeless situation, says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, hey, if, if, you're the, if you're here this morning and you're a Christ follower, you have a Therefore. Yeah, it may look bad when you look over the walls of your life and you may be surrounded by doubt. You may be plagued by guilt. You may be struggling with what's next. It may not look hopeful at all. You may feel like life is over as I know it. It may be that you just feel like, man, I'd almost rather die. I see no way out of this. But if you are a follower of Christ, you have a therefore. There's something that this is there for. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. Now, what's interesting about that word earth in this text, in the language, it can also be translated land. And give way can also be translated change or changes. Therefore, we will not fear, though the landscape of my life changes. Though I'm living something that's not at all what I thought it would look like if you'd have asked me five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. Things have happened in my life as I look over the wall of my life, and I, I, it seems like there's been one enemy after another. There have been things in my life and people in my life that have tried to take me out of the dream I once had, tried to take me out of the marriage that I wanted to be in, tried to take me out of the kind of parenting that I wanted to have in my home, tried to take me out financially. I've walked through some circumstances, and i got to be honest, it looks very, very hopeless. But here's the reminder. 
And remember, 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 before the world began, God knew you would be sitting in this room this morning looking at and hearing the passage we're talking about. It is the whisper of God from eternity saying, I know and I love you. I want you to know this. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, we don't have to be afraid. Because there's a God that when he determines the time is right, it's usually later than I would prefer. God tends to often be a fourth quarter God. I think part of the reason for that is God knows if he, if he acted sooner, our faith would be so shallow we would be infants. We don't have to fear. See, when it feels like our world is falling to pieces, God offers a sustaining peace. When it feels like it's hopeless, God says, I, I can be your hope. Therefore, we will not fear, though I hate my job. Therefore, we will not fear, though my marriage is in a crisis. Therefore, we will not fear, though I have a child that I have no idea how to help. And you're never happier than your most unhappy child. Therefore, we will not fear, though I've got so much debt, I have no idea how to navigate this. Therefore, we will not fear, though, the person that was supposed to love me abandoned me. And notice what he says. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. What is he talking about? Hezekiah may have been young. But Hezekiah had faith in God and he believed in being wise. And so Hezekiah knew that the city of Jerusalem would be vulnerable. And so before the enemy even arrived, he had some people go all the way to the Gihon Valley, or the Gihon Spring in the Kidron Valley, where there's a natural spring there. And he had them dig an underground conduit hewn out of solid rock that was over 1,770 feet long. It came up into the middle of the city, and then he covered that conduit, and he covered that, that stream so the enemy could not find it. So that while the Assyrian army has Jerusalem surrounded, it looks hopeless. It's over. Hezekiah did what he could do ahead of time to ensure that they would have a secret source. So all the while, as the days are going by, they should be opening the gates any day now. There's no way they can survive another day. They have no water. They have no food. They had a secret source available to them on the inside. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, you look over the walls of your life, and it looks hopeless, and it seems hopeless, and you've tried reading some books, and you've tried talking to some people, and often God can use that. But I just need to let you know this morning, the greatest source you have comes from the inside. The Spirit of the living God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives inside you. They would have died. They would have been decimated. They would have collapsed from within if they did not go to the secret source on a daily basis. And you have a source. Jesus speaks of this source for the Christ follower, John chapter 4. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John chapter 7, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I know it looks bad when you look over the wall of your life and see what you see. But I want to encourage you to take a moment to stop looking over the wall and look at what's inside and turn to the source that you have available. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. God is within her. Some translations say God is in the midst. God has always had this habit of being in the midst. He was in the midst of creation. We read about it. As a 12-year-old boy, he was in the temple in the midst of the religious leaders. He was in the midst of the upper room with the disciples when they were struggling with doubt and didn't understand what was going to happen. He hung in the midst between heaven and earth on a cruel cross for your sin and for my sin. In fact, the only place that God does not remain in the midst is an empty tomb so that we would know he loves us so much he got up from the dead and he wants to be in your life and mine. Oh, don't, don't mistake a perceived lack of activity for the lack of the presence of God. If you are a follower of Christ, he's in the midst. In fact, the Bible even says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. This morning, right now, he's in the midst. She will not fall. Could anything fall that has God inside it? God will help her at break of day. Now, I don't know about you, but I find great encouragement in that phrase and other places where I read in the Scripture about the morning and how His mercies are new every morning. God will help her at break of day. You may be in the middle of the darkest part of the night. It does not mean that morning is not coming. It's where you are in this moment. But God is still doing something very special. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall He lifts his voice, the earth melts, the Lord Almighty is with us. That word with us put together in the Hebrew language is the same word from which we get the word Emmanuel, God with us. He's in the midst, he's with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then Hezekiah, inspired by God, writing this psalm to commemorate and celebrate, but also to remember, kind of paints a picture of what happened when 185,000 Assyrians and their army were wiped out. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Great story. Cool history lesson. That's awesome. But what does it mean for you and what does it mean for me today? What does this mean for right now? It means... That God himself will step onto the battlefield of our lives and fight for us. It means the promise that God made in his word, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. It means that you are not alone. You might have felt alone, but that doesn't mean you're alone. You have a secret source that you've not been tapping into, perhaps. You've been looking over the wall at all of the obstacles and all of the problems and all of the pain and all the negativity and all the issues that you're facing and all the things that are wrong and all the things that could never possibly go right for you. You've been living in a place where you feel like God has favorites, you're just not one of them. You watch other people being blessed, you watch other people walk through life, their marriages are flourishing, their parenting is working, their careers are flying and soaring, but in your life it hasn't happened. You're looking at everything except the very one you should have your eyes on. And he's on the inside. It's a secret source. 
And then there's this verse. There's this verse, one of my favorite verses. A verse that if you grew up in church, you've been around church, you're very familiar with, you know this. If you're new to church, you're just checking it out. The verse we're about to talk about is it's, it's kind of one of the, uh, the, the big verses for Christ followers. He says, be still and know that I am God. How do you do that? As a pastor, every single weekend, in one audience, I speak to multiple audiences. There are people in the room that are not Christ followers. And we are so glad you're here. You're welcome here. You matter to us. There are people in the room that are brand new Christ followers. In, in the last month, and we, we didn't even meet one Sunday because of the hurricane they thought was coming that didn't come. Just in the last month, we've seen 26 people commit their lives to Christ in this room. I'm speaking also to people that have been Christ followers and been maturing in their faith and growing in their faith. But, but I also, in, in one crowd, there are many crowds, I speak to different personalities. And some of you, you're go-getters. And whatever we talk about, man, you're writing and highlighting. And you've made notes in the Bible. And you write notes on your hand. You have post-it notes. And you have to-do lists. And you're plowing through them. You don't just have the list. You're a go-getter. You're, you're a little bit aggressive. And you scare us a little bit. But, but you get stuff done. In the same crowd, there are people who procrastinate. Do you ever procrastinate? I need to let you know, if you're a procrastinator, this verse is not the theme verse for, for procrastination. Be still and know that I'm God doesn't mean don't do a thing. Be still and know that I'm God doesn't mean just sit down, suck your thumb, and hope I come through. You have to remember the context of the passage. Hezekiah, before this moment, had over 1,700 feet hewn through rock to make a conduit for water. He did everything he could. He prepared. This verse means when you've done all you can, it's not that you're not active. When you've done all that you can, then be still and trust in God. See, if you're not careful, you can be waiting on God when God is waiting on you. Be still. When you've done everything you can, it's a picture of rest. Be still. Quiet your mind. It's hard for you to experience the peace peace of God with all the noise that you invite into your mind and focus on and think about all the time. Be still and know that I am God. Okay, God, I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to be still. I'm going to focus on you. When those thoughts, those worries pop in my head, I'm going to kick them out. I'm going to try to trust you. What's your plan, God? I'm trusting you. What's your plan? He tells us right here. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The plan of God is for the glory of God. And if you're walking through something that is intensely challenging, how much must God trust you to carry that burden to show his faithfulness to you in that process? Your faith doesn't grow on the good days. Christmas Day, you get all the presents you want. Faith doesn't grow. You get the bonus at work. You're grateful for a day or two, but your faith doesn't grow. It's when we're in those troubled moments that our faith grows. And then he says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So if you're walking through a dark season and you're living with a lot of pain, and your life is a struggle, and you have no idea what to do, you have, if you're a Christ follower, a secret source that's available on the inside. 
It's the Spirit of God in you. So tomorrow morning when you wake up and your tears are falling into the sink and mixing with the water that's running as you rinse your dish before you walk out that door, you're crying because you feel the pain of who else walked out that door and didn't come back. Remember that He's with you. When you're in your car on the way to that meeting that you have no idea how it's going to go, you've rehearsed what you're going to say and you've even thought about alternative scenarios. Well, if they say this, I'll say that. And you've got it all in your mind, but there's still a level of stress because you don't know. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. Remember, he's with you. When the boss calls that every time he calls somebody in, it's bad news. There's never been a good news day from his call. When he calls and you're walking from where you function to his office, remember, He's with you. When you feel absolutely hopeless because of the email from a teacher about one of your kids and you have no idea or when you feel hopeless because it wasn't an email from a teacher, it was a call from an officer and you have no idea. Remember, He is with you. It is in these moments we are tempted to look over the walls of our lives and see how hopeless the scenario is. And God wrote this before you were ever born, knowing what you'd be walking through even as you're here this morning, to whisper to you, I love you, I know, and I'm with you. I'm with you. I want you to look at this next verse. God is our refuge. And strength and ever-present help and trouble. Who is God? We started the series, God is. Who is God? It says right here, God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help and trouble. It's interesting to me, in this one verse tucked away in the Old Testament, it really sums up the entire Bible. God is our refuge and strength. He sent Christ so we could have a personal relationship with a God who invites us to call him Father. So he could forgive us of our sin and be that ever-present help in trouble. Because even Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. So something has been made available to you and something has been made available to me and it's not just a something, it's a someone. It is the person of God. So stop looking over the walls and start looking at who God is and wants to be in your life. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning, And you say, Byron, I'm, I'm, I'm going through some pain. And I felt pretty hopeless. And you're in a season of struggle. And you're, you're, you're trying to hold on. You're trying to believe the best, think the best. But it's not easy right now. You've been betrayed. You've been hurt. You've been disappointed. Maybe you've betrayed and hurt, disappointed yourself. Maybe someone else did that to you. But right now, you're in pain. And it looks hopeless. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I want the house lights to come up a little bit. We're in a spirit of prayer. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking but me. But if that's where you are this morning, man, I'm in pain. Could I pray for you? I, I would love to pray for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. House lights up a little more. Would you just put your hand up and put it down right where you are? Man, I'm, I'm walking through some pain. I'm going through some pain. I see your hands. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. 
I didn't do this in the first service. I feel like I'm supposed to right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. But if you raised your hand, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, would you just look up at me a second? Just, just look at me. I'm not going to embarrass you at all. I just want you to see my face when I say a couple of things. I want you to know that God loves you. I want you to know that you matter to him and to us. I'm also fully aware that the Spirit of God can do a lot with one message on a Sunday morning, but it it doesn't fix everything you're walking through. And if that hopelessness, that darkness that's invading your life is becoming too much, man, would you please let us know? We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We have some amazing Christian counselors that that will actually walk through this. See, the, the people that we recommend aren't just uh, trained in psychology. They're Christ followers. So they have a biblical foundation, and they understand mental health, emotional health. You'll get the best help. That's what we want for you. If you can't afford it, we'll pay for it. I'm serious. All you've got to do is let us know. All you've got to do when we're dismissed in a few moments is go to the red tent, guest services, put down your name, and say, uh, just, just have them put on the card for Pastor Byron. They'll make sure I get it. Our office will contact you. You don't have to give any other details. You can share de- details with me, but you don't have to. But listen, Jesus said he came to give us life to the full. And I don't know what you're walking through, but I know the pain is real. And I believe there's hope that can be found only in Christ and what he can do with our lives. But I also believe there's a process sometimes we walk through of healing in those areas. And so we want to be a help to you. You matter to us. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you know the greatest need in your life is that you commit your life to Christ. Man, that that secret source on the inside, the streams of living water, you don't have that unless you're a Christ follower. I, I can't think of one good reason not to commit my life to Christ. So this morning, if that's where you are, you say, man, I, I, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to encourage you to pray a very simple prayer. I, I'll, I'll pray out loud. You can pray out loud or you can pray in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says that Jesus knows our thoughts. If you'd like to commit your life to Christ this morning and have access to who God is in a personal way in your life, the Spirit of God living inside you, just pray this prayer. Just say, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. and Help me to live for you. As best I know how, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. In your name, amen. 